You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight aches and pains with injury expert Will Carroll and provide the latest installment of your fantasy fix. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast with Fox broadcaster Rondé Barber as he prepares to call the Giants-Bucks game with his brother Tiki. Rondé, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How did this novel concept come together, and have you been giving Tiki some pointers since you have much more experience calling games? (laughs) Um, I'm not sure how it came together. Um, I'm not sure who approached who first and on what side. You know, we uh, Tiki and I have talked about it in the past, kind of as a fleeting you know, maybe if type scenario. Uh, and I was out at my seminar uh, back in August, and one of my bosses, John Entz, came up to me uh, uh, and said, hey, would you ever consider, you know, letting Tiki do a game with you? And I'm like, hey, you know, yeah, we, you know, it was one of those nights we were talking, just letting it loose. And then literally uh, a week later, Tiki called me and said, who is John Entz? <laughs> I said, you should probably give him a call back. Um, and uh, we decided that this would be the perfect game to do it. Um, uh, him being, you know, endeared up there, me being endeared down here in Tampa. And so, yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to give him some, some tips. There's, there's no real, uh, you know, learning that you can do. You kind of just got to jump in the deep end of the pool and start swimming when you, when you do broadcast games. But at the very least, he has me. This is my fifth year doing it. Kenny Albert is a very, very good pro at this job. So, He'll, uh, he'll steer our ship. It's good to hear from you, Rondé. Had the opportunity to see you uh, radio roll down in Houston and uh, love to watch you doing your thing, of course. But to have it to, to have it be where you and your brother are doing it, uh, have you guys talked to the family? How excited are they to do it? Have yeah. you and your brother talked about it? How excited are you uh, both uh, having yeah. the opportunity to do this, yeah. which is, <laughs> let's just say, history, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's our history anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's good to be the first at something, right, I guess. Right, but, right. Um, um, Tiki and I have talked about it. And, you know, the mechanics of a three-man booth, I'm, uh, trust me, I've done it once. It's, it's hard to do, you know, because you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of muted at, at times when you really want to get in. Um, so you're really sharing the scene, and it's, it's not as easy as it seems. You think like three men, you've got a lot, lot more to talk about. Uh, re- reality is, it's three people. There's not enough time to talk about what you what you want to do because, um, as conversational as you want to make it, you still got to cover the football game. Uh, you still got to be out before every snap, and you know, there's there's some logistics that we're gonna have to get used to. But yeah, the family's excited. You know, all of the, his family uh, or his his, his, his youngest family are gonna be down. Obviously, my kids will be down. My mom will be watching. Um, there's there's a lot of friends that are, are really excited to tune in. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it'll get a, a positive response. I mean, we have different perspectives on the game. You know, I've been watching film. You know, Cordell, you, pl- you played. I, I watch film now like I would play what, like when I did when I was playing. I don't know if you do, <laughs> you do that. I know Tiki doesn't do that anymore. Right. Um, so he'll it, bring a different perspective than, you know, the more analytical side that I try to bring as an analyst. And we know everything's bigger in New York, and the New York media, I'm sure, is waiting for this game. Oh, yeah. Given Tiki's past the <laughs> with, with the candid remarks about Eli – how do you think he's going to approach calling this game if the Giants' offensive struggles continue on Sunday? Yeah, you know what? You and Eli are good, man. It's a, it's a, it's a fun, fun, uh, funny narrative, I should say, um, uh, surrounding them. Um, you know, they're they're big boys, man. They play together. They have much respect for each other. Uh, and Eli is not the problem on that offense. I mean, I, I've watched their first three games. Eli is playing at a different level in a new offense. I mean, he's never been asked to be a, you know, a West Coast uh, lineup in three wide receiver sets for, you know, 90% of the game and throw the ball over the park. He's been under center play action uh, uh, quarterback when he's won both of his Super Bowls. So uh, I think he's, I think he's playing well. He's completing a lot of his passes. Granted, they're not going for a lot of yards because of the structure of the offense right now. Um, And they can't take five step drops. That offensive line is not good enough. Uh, but he needs people around him to play better. He's got a lot of weapons at wide receiver. He's got a good young tight end. Um, uh, I don't think Tiki's going to have much to disparage about other than the guys up front trying to protect him. 
Rhonda, you see you down there in Tampa. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers end up suffering a, a big loss against a Minnesota team that didn't have their starting quarterback and and Sam yeah. Bradford. You saw Case Keenum come in and play well. But on the other side, Jameis Winston, I mean, he goes out and turned the ball over a few times, and they're leaning on him to be the leader to get them yeah. to the next level. Tell me, what what's the feeling down there when it comes down to Jameis not pressing, not having to press so much, but try to do it by getting the committee, the people around him to help him to go out and play on a high level? You couldn't have said it better, Cordell. I mean, you, you played the position, uh, and they're asking him a, a lot, to do a lot for this team. I mean, he threw the ball 40 times last week, and I'm telling you, his 28 completions were all really good throws. Um, the thing that you always worry about with Jameis, because Jameis has this mentality that he can make any throw in the book, and to be quite honest with you, he, he can. And he can find tight windows. He can see anticipated throws and just let it rip. Uh, and you don't want to take that away from him because he's very good at doing that. Um, uh, but you also got to give him help. Uh, to me, last week they're down 14 points in the fourth quarter, start of the fourth quarter, 14-30 left. They're driving to, to score. Uh, he he, uh, he throws an interception. They don't run the ball again the rest of the day. He, he throws 22 straight passes. The next 22 plays on offensive passes. Wow. So they're just asking. They're expecting a lot of the kid, and to whom a lot is given, a lot is expected, yes. But they need to be better around him, too. They need to be able to control the ball, shorten the game, uh, uh, run the football when they have the opportunity. But um, as it is, you're going to see a guy, if they keep continuing this track, you're going to see a guy that has 28 good throws and about five or six that you're like, dang. He missed on that one. Rondé Barber of Fox Sports is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Rondé, you made the all-decade team as a corner. How much of that position and being successful there comes down to confidence? Matching up oh, against a star 100%. receiver, believing yourself, because we have some corners who can talk as well as they play, like Richard Sherman and Josh Norman. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 100% confidence. And I don't know that I had confidence when I first came into the league on the first couple of times playing, uh, but it's definitely something you get with time on task, with reps, and you know, finding some success. Uh, I mean, I, I'm one of those guys that truly believes you have to struggle in order to to, to realize your your true potential. Uh, and I struggled early in my career, and it and it and it helped me. It helped me become a better player, a better pro. It helped me prepare, so I wouldn't seek, so I wouldn't find failure as much. Um, uh, and then once you have that, I mean, then you then your true personality shows. You know, then the, you know, Josh Norman's a perfect example. I, I mean, people know who Josh is now. But Josh's first two or three years in the league, I mean, I remember going to Carolina. like, who's this long kid from this small school that uh, looks like he can play but, you know, really didn't do anything? A year and a half later, the guy's the, high, the highest-paid corner in football. Um, so it, just, it, it goes a long way. You're talking about struggling before you find out how good you can be or just being able to go through those adverse moments. Talking about adverse moments, you have the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Coach yeah. Anthony Lynn, uh, they're playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's finding their way to uh, to play some really, really good football. Losing Darren Sproles, but they have LeGarrette Blunt. Give me your take yeah. on this Chargers team and how they could end the StubHub Stadium when they go play against Philadelphia uh, on that evening, um, mid-afternoon on you know Sunday. I, how can they yeah, make it work? Have, how can they make it better? I, you know what? I, I haven't watched the Chargers. Um, I, I know what Philly is because I had them week week one. But Anthony Lynn is a, is a heck of a football coach. You know, I think he's a guy that delivers his message well. You know, the problem with him is that he, the problem with them is that they have uh, the the challenge of relocating. Uh, and last year, when um, uh, the Rams uh, relocated to LA, I did a bunch of their games. And as much as you wanted to talk about how they were inexperienced, how the quarterback wasn't playing well, all these factors. Uh, on their football team, the real issue was that they they were unsettled, and I think the Chargers feel a little unsettled right now. Um, uh, again, they have a you know one of the generation's good great quarterbacks in Philip Rivers, um, but it's more than that. You know that that, that takes a lot more than that to to, to turn uh, any team into a winner. I just, I just think they they got to find their way still. They they they're not settled yet. Ronda, we were just talking about Tony Romo making a strong debut for CBS, and he has yeah. gone viral predicting some plays. Now, let's take this week out of the equation, three-man booth, yeah. very different. Standard Sunday, you and Kenny, and obviously you're not a former quarterback. When a team yeah. lines up, what are you seeing? If you wanted to look into the future, yeah. be clairvoyant, could you pull a Romo? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people could. 
but there's a chance you're wrong too. And uh, I mean, I, I understand guiding the, the, the viewer. There's no upside to being right. I, I, I love what Tony's doing. Tony's got a engaging personality on, on TV. And I, you knew he would. Tony's a smart guy. He knows football. Like, uh, like un- unlike anybody that, that's play that's doing this on air right now, because he can speak the language still. He just finished. He just finished playing. He played the most important position on the field. Um, but his, the clairvoyance that you're talking about, it it, it doesn't help. You know, I mean, it, it it's cool as hell because you're like, oh, I'd, I'd watch out for that fade to 16 in the slot. Oh, there's the fade. You know, Jim Nance does a good job. You called it, Tony. You know, it's 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 great for TV, uh, but I, I don't know that I have the I don't know, the, the ball to do it as many times as he, as he, he does. Uh, I fear being wrong. I'm the guy that didn't like to ask out girls because I didn't want to get rejected. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely well, not going to call out when I know a blitz is coming. <laughs> yeah, speaking of blitzes coming, um, I, I know you've covered some teams. You may have seen some teams. You may have watched some teams for sure. But when you think about the top teams in the National Football League right now, we talk about the mm-hmm. power rankings. Uh, you look at a Kansas City Chiefs team with Alex Smith yeah. where people are wondering if he could make the deep throws, throw it between and the, the linebackers threading the needles. But right now, yeah. he's gone on the road and won some really good games for sure, the first game of the week of the year, excuse me, beating the New England yeah. Patriots and then have a chance to beat a, a team that pretty much run the same system and actually knows uh, Alex Smith in the in the Philadelphia. Yeah. Give me your take on how great he's playing right now. Not good, but great he's it, playing right now. Yeah, I, I remember uh, week one. I go to Washington early because it's my first time with the new crew. So we're we're all together on Thursday night, and going going to the restaurant and they have the game on. And I was I was a little late actually, um, and I walk in and, and I'm like, "What is this score right now?" <laughs> What's going? They're like, "You're not you're not going to believe what Alex Smith is doing right now." Uh, and you just watch the rest of that game. You're like, wow, I've never, you've never seen Alex Smith be the guy um, that will extend the play and then put it down the field or buy himself a little bit of time and then find the play that's going to hit the home run or hit his back foot on a five-step drop and let go a deep ball. That's, that's never what you've, what you've seen from Alex. He's been a right. ball control, you know, take the check down when it's not there. His first read's not there. Uh, you know, get it in the hands of a playmaker underneath. And it's, it's crazy to think that in one offseason, and whether it was the Mahomes drafting or whatever, uh, you've seen a guy transform his mentality at quarterback. And it's not that he didn't have that ability before because he's got great arm strength. Um, you know, the guy can the guy can wing the football. He's athletic as hell. So I, I, you're not surprised that it's happened. The real surprise is that it's taken this long for it to materialize. Rondé, have a great call on Sunday, and thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brew to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste and only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1970. So when you grab for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's catch up with former Vikings defensive end and Hall of Famer Carl Eller. Carl, thanks for taking the time to join us. We have the pleasure of spotlighting the great work being done by the Legends community every week. What have you taken away from this experience? Well, this experience has been great for me. It's just fantastic. You know, it's a chance for me to connect with uh, former players in a variety of situations. And, uh, you know, it's really a heartfelt, sincere connection. You know, they relate, I relate. And uh, to me, it was like just, uh, just wonderful because it, it was just a greeting. It was like family, and so it, it's really a great, uh, great undertaking. When speaking of the uh, the Legends community, uh, look at the community that's taken place throughout the National Football League, Carl, and you see these guys in unison uh, from a unity standpoint, taking a stance. The game today in comparison to how it was 
Give me the connection uh, when you see these guys being this close to the hips, especially when it comes down to the money they're making nowadays, which easily it's a time to be an individual and not be consuming nothing else. But now they're looking like for a cause, starting with Colin Kaepernick until now, uh, they're joined at the hip in a way that, let's just say, we may have not seen in a very, very long time, maybe back in the time in which the strike was taking place to, to try to create some opportunities for some players. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it goes back to the days of the strike. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, most players supported that. We had a few players cross the line. But, you know, the the thing is, is like with the players, is is that they're always mistaken for being – I don't want to use the phrase just a player, but they're they're like almost a, a inhuman or non-human that they're supposed to be automatic and just respond to things. These guys are very deeply emotional. They're very deeply concerned. They're very deeply connected and, and, and attached, not just to themselves, but to what's going on around the country, their teams, their families, and their communities. So, yes, they are affected, and, and, and they respond according to their own personal you know, uh, uh, contact with it. Carl, as someone who served in the Army National Guard, what's your view of what we've seen at stadiums around the NFL with everything from signs of unity to protests? Well, let me just explain to you, and it's ironic, too, because that originally started with me. I mean, it's it, it's crazy to where it is right now. And just to give you a little background, you know, I was in the National Guard. This was on the uh, Vietnam area, like the late 60s, early 70s. I served my term as a reserve member as, uh, as an uh, option to go into active service, which would have interrupted my playing days, which I didn't want to do and couldn't afford to do that. So the option for me was to be in the National Guard. And uh, for those of you familiar, you know, it's like weekend, uh, you know, training and stuff like that, which directly conflicts with the game. So while I was uh, in the in the guard, Bud Grant, the coach, being the disciplinarian he is, uh, he says, hey, I want to straighten up what's going on on the sidelines and calls me up and says, Carl, show these guys how to stand at attention, you know, and, and I went through the routine and that's how it originated. That's how the whole thing started. And what the way it caught on was because we were looking disciplined and polished and, you know, and, and well-formed and uniformed and all those. And, and and the other teams on the other side were just totally just discombobulated, I guess. And so uh, the, 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 the difference between the two was very obvious. And, of course, that, that it, then it became kind of a league rule or something, but it's certainly a, a, a standard for standing at attention on the sideline. But it all started with me. That's what's so crazy about the whole thing. You know, we always have a pioneer in, in some regard when it comes down to uh, taking a stance for something, and we appreciate you for that for sure. Uh, because trust me, while may, many may not talk about it and you bringing it to the forefront, uh, I just want to say myself as a former player, we appreciate it. But at the same time, when you think of your Minnesota Vikings and, and what we've seen them do defensively, uh, they were called the, what, the purple people leaders at one point in time. And when you look at this defense now, when watching it and having a chance to, and even the team overall, just watching them, how proud of you of this football team right now where you see them being able uh, to go out and play some really good football, even without Adrian Peterson right now, but with the young kid Dalvin Cook and defensively being able to play some of that tough defense uh, that maybe uh, the Purple People leaders back in the day were able to do. Well, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of these guys, and, and, and I'm proud of the Vikings because, you know, these guys have carried their tradition. You know, when I walk in the locker room, Griffin, those guys, uh, you know, they, they they welcome me. That, that history is still there, you know. Uh, but these guys, they don't feel overshadowed by it. You know, it's like something they feel, well, hey, there's a great tradition. You know, it's something they got to live up to. It's something that they identify with, and uh, you know, there are great personalities on, on both sides, you know, with the defense, of course, they, they got their standards, but they also have it on, on offense, and they've had some great plays like uh, this Diggs and this Tegan, and then now this Kinnan comes in and plays a hell of a game like last week. So, you know, there's always excitement on the field when when, when the Vikings are playing. 
The Hall of Famer Carl Eller is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Cordell mentioned the Purple People Eaters, iconic defense, Hall of Famers like yourself and Alan Page. Carl, what do you make of the current NFL? So many rule changes to promote offense. Well, it is. Uh, you know, uh, I, I would have a hard time. I keep trying to imagine how it would play. One is these guys on the offensive line to continue to get bigger. Uh, the defensive ends are relatively the same. The defensive linemen haven't changed a lot, but they're bigger as well. It's just you you, you got to use the speed. And I'm, I watch these guys, you know, that they do that in the round, in rush, and, and they're fast and they're successful. But it's quite a challenge with all the rules changes well let's just be realistic and transparent if, if you were in the trenches and the time in which you played and how you guys like to get after the quarterback you guys would be feast of famine on the quarterbacks nowadays there's no more fullbacks in the mix uh the, the tight ends are, are now hybrid tight ends they're not the big guys that become somewhat of an offensive lineman you guys would have a tremendous amount of fun and maybe the sack numbers would probably be even higher higher for the purple people leaders back in that time, considering you guys were already going after the ball well, but now you would have a chance to really get after the quarterbacks. Well, you make a good point there because you always, you know, they had that little set back there, you know, the the two and the three back. So he would always pick up if you got around that uh, tackle there. So that's that's something that I really hadn't thought of. Yeah, it would probably be be a heyday for us, you know, going around that guy. That's, that's good. I, I should have not thought of that. Carl, so many legendary stories connected to your team, and you can't believe everything you read on the Internet. So tell me if this one is true. I got it from Newsweek, so maybe it's fake news. Pre-game meal, <laughs> typically steak and eggs. One week, according to the story, you wanted pancakes. Can you pick up the rest of the story? Because apparently you were able to display your displeasure in a way your head coach actually enjoyed. Well, I, I don't know if he enjoyed it at the time, but yeah, it was a standard, you know, and most teams had just the same meal, but certainly we did, you know, it was like a steak and potato, you know, maybe dried toast or something for some reason. I, I, I had the idea I wanted to have something different. So I ordered pancakes and the waiter, you know, he headed back to the kitchen, I think, to put my special order in and the other orders came out. Everybody was eating the same thing. And I sat at the table, you know, just kind of waiting for my order. And I think Bud Grant finally noticed that. And I, you know, and I saw the waiter going back and forth to the kitchen. So finally I asked him, I says, hey, what happened to my pancakes? And he goes, well, uh, the coach says, uh, you know, you know, everybody gets the same thing. We're not ordered pancakes. Well, they just kind of set me off and I jumped up and kicked the tray of dishes off of the off of the tray. And they all went flying in the air. And, and then I stormed out of the room, you know, so. Yeah, that's that. There's that. That is the true story for the the pancake story. Uh, but you know, I I just got married here. Uh, you know, uh, not long ago, and we had a celebration. But was there, and uh, he comes to the cel- celebration. He and his and his wife uh, Pat, and there uh, he gets the microphone and he tells the story and he says, "Carl, here's your pancakes." Thirty something years later, <laughs> he delivers my pancakes. <laughs> Well, according to Newsweek, when you left the room, Coach looked around and said, well, it looks like Carl was ready to play. Well, I guess I was, yeah. I had a little, uh, you know, you get excited sometimes. You can't hold it in, you know. Mr. Eller, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us on the NFL on TuneIn. It's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Gold, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for Cordell's favorite segment as we discuss injuries with Will Carroll, the injury expert. 
Well, thanks for taking the time. So Sproles goes down with not only a broken arm, but a torn ACL on the same play. How does the rehab work moving forward? Does he have to allow one injury to heal before he focuses on the other? No. Uh, luckily for, for him, uh, this devastating play don't really complicate each other too much. It's just the weirdest circumstance where two different bad things happened independently. And that's how he'll treat this. Look, the, the broken arm, that's bad. You don't want one, but they heal up. We all know somebody, some little kid down the street, fell off his skateboard, broke his arm. You don't expect that's going to do much more than heal up simply. The ACL is going to be more complicated. Uh, the repair is all too familiar, all too commonly done, especially among NFL players. He should be able to come back from this in six to nine months, but it's an involved surgery, and it's definitely an involved rehab. He starts from a great base. He's in shape. He's got that low center of gravity. Uh, but he also does put a lot of stress on those knees with the way he runs. So he's going to have to have them back to 100%. He's got plenty of time to get back for next season. I fully expect him to be back there again doing what he does so well. Sam Bradford started the season off so great uh, week one. Uh, but his knee, when it, I think they said it what, was a bone, uh, bone bruise. Uh, where, yeah. where is he now? What's the status with Sam Bradford? Well, this issue certainly relates to the previous knee injuries. He's had uh, two ACL reconstructions done there. And when you have that, there's almost always other damage in there, usually to the meniscus. You either repair it or just pull it out. Uh, I would be surprised if he didn't have some bone-on-bone contact where that meniscus was either gone or damaged. And, and that's what really the problem is. Uh, unfortunately, with him or with any player who has meniscus damage, they're going to see that kind of contact, that sort of grinding and bone-on-bone problem that leads to inflammation. You'll see bone spurs. You'll see uh, bone bruises. You have to manage it, and you have to manage it from day to day and week to week in the NFL. And Bradford has had this for a long time. There's a lot of players out there. Probably the best-known case is in the NBA with Dwayne Wade. Uh, There's a great article about what he has to go through every single day to be ready to play, what he has to do after he plays. It's about four hours out of his day to play uh, 60 minutes in the NBA. Same thing for Bradford and for a lot of other players. They've got to get to a point where that knee is managed. Uh, So Minnesota's going to have to get that under control, and that's tough. There's a lot of trial and error. The things they've done have obviously gotten out of whack now that he's got the swelling back in it. So they've got to get the swelling back out. They've got to get him back uh, where he can recover not only from games but from practice. Well, a report with an unnamed source, so factor that into your analysis, connected to the Panthers organization, indicating that some folks within the franchise have serious concern that Cam Newton's body is already breaking down in a way that might not ever change with the recurring ankle and shoulder issues. Where do you think Cam is at this stage of his career? Well, he certainly does take a lot of hits, so you would want him and certainly every other quarterback to take less. Well, that's easier said than done, especially for a player that plays the way he does. The shoulder, I'm not that concerned about. You know, he had the surgery. Is it 100%? No, but he's making all the throws. When you take a look at the tape, he might not have quite the velocity, maybe not quite the touch. He is making all the throws. So, you know, if you go back to somebody like uh, Peyton Manning after his neck surgery, he never got back all the arm strength, and he was never honestly – uh, a, a pure arm strength kind of guy. That laser rocket arm was more marketing than reality. For Cam, he did have that laser arm, and it's not 100%, but it's close enough, and certainly at a point where he can make all those throws. It just seems like he's lacking confidence in his ability to make those throws, and we don't think of lack of confidence in Cam Newton very often. I think he's just got to get used to where he is, understand that he can make those throws, and get that confidence back. The upside of it is he's got Christian McCaffrey, who he can dump the ball off to, who's doing so well in that hybrid slot running back set. Uh, So I think they're going to continue to use him, which takes the pressure off of Cam uh, and allows him to get his confidence back. As for the ankle, you know, those can be fixed. Uh, He's got uh, good shoes. He's got a good body. Uh, He focused on his core uh, this year when he couldn't work on his upper body, couldn't do a lot of pure football stuff recovering from the surgery. So everything's been very positive for him uh, the way I've seen it. I just, you know, like everyone, I'd rather see him take less hits. How about Jordan Reed? Uh, You just saw this Washington Redskins team really play well. 
Uh, you saw the quarterback in Kirk. That's what the K. Cousins actually play really good football. But Jordan Reed, uh, give me some things that's Jordan Reed. Tell me what's going on with him. Chest, shoulder, and toe? Yeah, you know, the toe is a long-term thing, and this is problematic. I don't know if you ever had turf toe, Cordell, but it is painful and it lingers. I mean, it sounds soft. Uh, you know, if we talked about an excessive sprain uh, toe, then maybe people would understand how serious this is. Uh, so this is something he's going to be dealing with for the rest of his career, and they just have to manage it. Um, as far as the shoulder, as far as the ribs, as far as all these things, you know, Jordan Reed, exceptionally talented a matchup problem extraordinaire. Defenses have to address him and figure out, how, you know, do you put a speed guy on him that he's going to be bigger than? Do you put a big guy on him who he's going to outrun? It's almost impossible. He, he's uh, almost as tough to match up with on defense as Rob Gronkowski. The problem for both of them is, you know, the, the trade-off is they're not very durable. And when we see a player like this who has several different injuries, we have to question, can he hold up under the workload of the NFL? Uh, Washington's going to have to figure out how to keep him as healthy as they possibly can. Is that less plays? Is that less practice? There's a lot of things in terms of sports science and sports medicine specific to workload management. The thing you can't take away are some of these big car crash level hits. But if he takes too many more of them, uh, that matchup problem is not going to be a big issue because he's going to be on the sidelines permanently. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber, taking you around the league with Will Carroll, the injury expert. Will, just about anybody listening can have empathy for a groin injury. So what's the latest on Doug Baldwin in Seattle? Yeah, groin injuries are bad, but uh, certainly you can work around them as a receiver. Doug Baldwin isn't reliant on pure route running which is where this would be a problem. You would think this would affect speed guys more, but the adductor muscles are actually more involved in cutting and a little bit in acceleration because you tend to uh, splay your feet out to get that, that quick start. Uh, so Baldwin is going to be able to cut hard the opposite side. Uh, so, uh, you know, with his groin, uh, you know, he'll go the, uh, towards the groin, that is, uh, and be able to make that cut easier than he is when he's going the other way from the groin. Uh, you see this with ankle injuries, knee injuries, uh, that you can go opposite that. You can make that hard cut one direction, not the other. Thing is, defensive backs know this. The big advantage for a receiver uh, that, that's a good route runner is the, the defensive back doesn't know which way they're going. If they know you've got to go left rather than right, much easier to play him. So I'll be interested to see how he, he goes. Uh, assuming he practices uh, on Friday, I fully expect him to suit up. But he is going to be slightly limited, and they're going to have to figure out how to get him a little more open uh, than he normally would be from the routes. How about Derrick Henry? I mean, this backfield, uh, the Tennessee Titans is with DeMarco Murray as well as Derrick Henry. Uh, how severe is his injury? Yeah, it doesn't look like it's too severe. And having Murray there, having, having that kind of depth, uh, it's certainly uh, a luxury. Uh, it's a bruised thigh, and this goes back to equipment. Uh, you know, we've seen shoulder injuries like the Anthony Thomas uh, because he's got those, you know, it looks like youth-level uh, shoulder pads because he wants to be as light as possible. For years, players, especially defensive backs and speed receivers, have either not worn uh, knee pads or worn these tiny little things that, that barely uh, do anything at all. And we've seen a lot of players go with a smaller thigh pad, not a more advanced thigh pad. There are some ones that are out there that are great and thin and light. Uh, but yeah, even with big, thick thigh pads, which you would think a running back like Henry would want, uh, you know, occasionally uh, a helmet will get in there, a shoulder pad will get in there. It's a simple bruise, painful, problematic for a couple of days, but he should be past it. Will he get his full carries? I don't know, uh, just because uh, as long as DeMarco Murray is there and productive, they can certainly split it out and, and shade that uh, towards Murray, and it seems they're doing that anyway. Will, great information as always. Thanks for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn, and we'll chat with you next Thursday. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brew to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste and only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you grab for a light beer this game day, Grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. 
Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue our preview of Thursday Night Football here on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time to spotlight our original team player presented by Miller Lite, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Now it's time to focus on Aaron Rodgers. He's today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. It's NFL No Huddle, spotlighting the stars of the game who played their hearts out for one team their entire career. It's the original team player presented by Miller Lite. Cornell, we've talked so much about the Giants failing to plan for life after Eli Manning. Cardinals have a similar problem with Carson Palmer. Chargers have to deal with an aging Phillip Rivers. Let's go back to the Packers' decision to have the first-round pick centering on a quarterback years ago, 2005. Should we celebrate what Green Bay did to have that kind of foresight to draft Aaron Rodgers, let them sit for three seasons, even though they already had Brett Favre, who was... At that point, not in decline, and I'm sure Favre didn't love the pick. Of course not. I mean, anytime the guy who's going to replace you is on the roster, um, you know there's going to be a a feeling of, I should say, uh, being uncomfortable. Let's just say that. Um, and I think in a time in which the league was the way it was to me, which was allowing guys to sit and learn uh, the game. Uh, and, and that was a time which I came in in 95 and a time in which Aaron Rodgers came in the National Football League. He just so happened to be coming into the league where there was an iconic quarterback, a legend, already on the field playing. Uh, you couldn't replace him then because it wasn't his time to leave. And so the only time would have been uh, was when I think it was, uh, when there was contract uh, situations that, that came about that that forged – Brett Favre to leave because they didn't want to restructure it. They didn't want to give an extension. Uh, it just was what it was. And then he ended up leaving and what did he end up going? He ended up going to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Minnesota. Uh, then he ended up going off to the Jets very at the last the last team he went to. But, um, you know, it was, it was smart by the team to, to grab him. I mean, the same thing that happened in, in Houston uh, when he had Chris Chandler there in Houston. Uh, then up all of a sudden grabbing Steve McNair in that 1994-95 draft, uh, which was the draft I was a part of. Uh, so you see that happening. And then I think also Chris Chandler had a chance to be a part of that again. Michael Vick, he ended up coming along the way and actually filling in after him. So uh, I think that in that time and in that era, I think the way they went about grabbing quarterbacks was done the right way, where they can learn from watching, even myself. Uh, being a part of uh, the run with Neil O'Donnell and watching him uh, do it uh, and being in that huddle at Slash and listening to the plays be called and while running the routes, seeing how he went through his progression uh, to be able to make some of those throws, which are about as good as it gets, which caused us to to go to a championship in my rookie year uh, against the Dallas Cowboys in that Super Bowl. Uh, but I think the organization did a good job of, of, of giving um, – Let's just say Aaron Rodgers an opportunity to learn from one of the greatest to ever play the game in, in Brett Favre. So it, it served him some good. Uh, ended up winning a championship really soon, maybe, what, a couple years after he was a starting quarterback with a lot of players that was a part of uh, those times and those teams with Brett Favre. Uh, and, and he ended up taking advantage of it. So, yeah, I thought the organization did a good job of grabbing, grabbing Aaron Rodgers to give him an opportunity to learn from the best and hear the plays be called and then learn the ways of how to be – a quarterback in the National Football League. The planning paid off for Green Bay. Now, clearly, you know a thing or two about throwing a Hail Mary pass. What makes Rodgers so effective in that area? He's the best in the NFL. When it comes to throwing a Hail Mary pass, I mean, he's good. I mean, he's what? He's completed two in one season. Uh, One against Detroit there in Detroit and the other on the road uh, against the Arizona Cardinals, I think in the playoffs, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And... uh, end up having a chance to throw one there, but end up losing uh, to the Arizona Cardinals, and that what gave the Cardinals an opportunity to go to the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago. Um, he has a strong arm. Um, you know, he he's a player that knows how to, let's just say, keep a play alive because of his ability to, to get outside the pocket and, and to be able to give it, the play a chance. That's all you want, to give the play a chance. 
uh, it's a 50-50 chance, and he's falling on he's falling on excuse me he's falling on the good side of that chance, and and end up having a chance in one season to throw two touchdowns to determine. Uh, one to determine the outcome and another time uh, to give those guys a chance in that game against the Arizona Cardinals. But it's got to be more than arm strength. A lot of guys have big arms. There's something intangible, and you can say I'm a fanboy, about Rodgers delivering when it matters the most. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you have a Derek Carr who finishes game strong. You have a, a Matthew Stafford over the years that's finished game strong in the fourth quarter. But to be able to do two Hail Mary passes, to be able to create those two Hail Mary passes, to be able to throw the ball in the air, you got guys on the other end that just want to make the play. You you need the help from the other players. That that's what make you really a great quarterback is being able to have guys on the other end that want to play for you. And what he's had over the years is guys that want to play for him, that want to catch the football, that find ways to get open for him when he has to scramble. Because he's arguably one of the better quarterbacks when under pressure, being able to throw touchdowns and being able to keep complete passes. Because guys know how to win for him on the other side, on the other end of it. Because it takes two at the end of the day. He can, he can be as good as he wants, but if he doesn't have guys working on the other end for him, uh, and Jordy Nelson, the Cobbs of the world, working for him, it's going to be hard to be able to make it work. And, and so I think it's a contribution. And, and, and also the offensive line when, when the guys are in there. They know because he scrambles that they have to make plays. They have to continue to play until the play is over with. They don't do it good all the time. But they do it when it matters. And because of that, of course, the credit is going to go 100% to the quarterback. But it's a collective effort. Let's just be realistic and transparent. It's a collective effort. effort. But when throwing the ball up in the air, and being able to get it there, now it's the other guy's opportunity and chance to be able to be special. And they've helped him along the way to be able to be special when it comes down to catching those Hail Mary passes. Plus, he's done it to cap a half. I can think of that amazing throw hooking up with Randall Cobb. For whatever reason, he shines in that area. Aaron Rodgers, today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. Let's wrap it up with the L Ward legacy. Bart Starr won multiple NFL championships playing for Vince Lombardi before the creation of the Super Bowl. Then Mr. Starr won the first two Super Bowls. So he's the most accomplished Packers quarterback. But how are you going to compare the careers of Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre if Aaron Rodgers wins another Super Bowl? He wins another Super Bowl. He trumps Brett Favre. Plain and simple. It's not even a debate. I mean, because when you start tallying up his numbers and how he did it, his tenure there, uh, the pressures that he had to, to play, under because of all of the, we mentioned it, the Bart Stars and the Brett Favre, he gets another championship. I mean, hey, I think his his legacy is cemented as the second best quarterback to ever play in Green Bay behind Bart Starr. I mean, Bart Starr, he's won a multitude of championships. I mean, he is the face. I think he is the legend. He is the pioneer of that position in Green Bay. He is. And, and when you look at what Aaron Rodgers has been able to accomplish. The only person you could truly compare him against, I think, in this modern-day era is Brett Favre. Brett Favre done some stuff, man, that, I mean, the magic he has, he had and has. I mean, think about what he did with the Donald Drivers of the world. Uh, I mean, it was it was the Dorsey Levens as backs, the offensive lines, and, and just how he was celebrated on so many occasions with the energy, the Southern boy energy he brought to the table, coming from Mississippi and having a chance to go on the road into New Orleans and play in that Super Bowl and beat the New England Patriots there, let's just say, at his homecoming in that city. I mean, it'll be ever, ever, forever be remembered. And it's a blue-collar city. And Brett Favre is a blue-collar boy in a sense of, of how he lives his life and how he does his thing, and, and everyone can relate to that. And to bring that type of fun and love and excitement with those smiles and that playboy, not playboy, but that playground style of football that he played, just at living and making plays, you kind of see that also in Aaron Rodgers and how he plays. But if Aaron Rodgers were able to get two championships, there will be a strong, strong debate on how do you gauge what he's done in, in the Green Bay Packer uniform in comparison to, to Bart Starr as well as Brett Favre. But I will say if he gets another championship and he continues to put up the numbers that he's putting up and winning the way he is, uh, you, you will have a great debate and a great argument. Now, the guys that play with Brett Favre, you're going to have to convince them that, of that, 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 that uh, Aaron Rodgers is better than Brett Favre. You're going to have to. You're just going to have to because the Donald Drivers, he had an opportunity to catch it from both. And he'll probably be 
the guy that may be able to give you some really good conversations about two. Uh, so if, if and when that day does come, I will be looking for Donald Driver to see if he can come on this show and tell us, give us the understanding between the two of why they both are great, but who would you choose to be the second best behind Bart Starr? Because that's what they're fighting for, the second spot. Bart Starr is the man. He'll never be forgotten and never be second to any of both Brett Favre and uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, when it comes down to choosing who is the best quarterback of all times. Countdown to kickoff for Thursday night. Football continues. The Bears taking on the Packers, led by Aaron Rodgers, today's original team player, presented by Miller Lite. This original team player segment has been presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. NFL No Huddle will be back right after this. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls from more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for the Fantasy Fix, provided by Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Today, let's say hello to our good friend Holden Kushner, host of MLB at the Plate, getting ready for his show tonight. Catch it at 7 Eastern. Holden, small sample size, but Le'Veon Bell has not done much after three games. Any fantasy doubts moving forward? Well, I think I'm looking you – know, there's statistics you could look at. Hey, Cordell's the guy that played the game. So the only way that guys like you and me that never played in the NFL – well, I'll just say myself – can understand this maybe through numbers. And right now, you know, Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers, he's got the lowest percentage of carries of any running back facing more defenders in the box than blockers can account for. So what that tells you is all the guys that are coming after him, for the most part, are – accounted for the the o-line is doing a, a decent job when he's trying to run the ball but what i do like is that todd haley a couple of times last week uh, got him out in space in a passing game and i think that's fine um we're just not seeing the same levy on bell that we saw last year to this point is it coming i mean based on track history uh you gotta say yes it's going to happen but right now he's not the same guy and uh, they've got to use him more in the in a passing game and it's, it's it's volume dependent and he's getting the ball a ton Holden, with Willie Sneed returning for the Saints this coming week, what do you expect from him in the first game eligible? Well, I expect that I am going to be avoiding him because uh, this I have no idea what's going on with the Saints passing game on a week-to-week basis. Brandon Coleman was pretty darn good. You know, he had 10 targets. He caught seven for 106 and two touchdowns. So, you know, Snead is coming back. He's a hit-and-miss guy anyways. Every week the, the production is going to spike and dip and spike and dip. So, I mean, as far as this week goes – I am not going to have any shares of Willie Sneed on my team, but if I've got him on my team, he's definitely going to be on my bench because it's, uh, there will be matchups that he's going to be a terrific play. Fantasy Fix with our friend Holden Kushner. Footnote to your statistical analysis. At least you have data. I just make stuff up and talk loudly. That's so do I. been the foundation of my career. Yeah. Let me get you to Doug Baldwin, the dreaded groin injury. Seattle can't run with that offensive line. How do you see Baldwin in terms of stardom or sit him as Seattle takes on Indy? You know, I went back. Uh, there's a study that a good buddy of mine, Chris Raybon, did a few years ago, and he looks into injuries and how that affects fantasy performance. And really, if you are questionable or doubtful with a groin injury over the last six years, production from a wide receiver has gone down 25.2% from a fantasy scoring point standpoint so that's pretty significant i mean when you got a collarbone it's 69 percent. when you got an elbow it's 10 percent. anything below the waist is something you're going to worry about with a wide receiver so i'm concerned about doug baldwin he's a guy that i'm avoiding in daily fantasy this week i think it's gonna be tough to have a better you know a better number 
three receiver on your team, so he's probably going to be in there uh, in your yearly leagues. But as far as Doug Baldwin goes, I'm fading. I think Jimmy Graham has a nice game this week. Speaking of concerns, Cam Newton has been one I think everyone's been concerned about for the most part, especially with his throwing because uh, it's surgically repaired arm. But what are your expectations for Cam Newton? Well, if he's not going to run because of concussions and he's throwing at a 61% completion percentage, then I'm not expecting much out of Cam Newton. You know, this is a guy that I was a little uh, tentative on coming into the year because I, I wasn't sure how the Panthers were going to use him, whether Ron Rivera was going to keep him, limit him from running with the football, and they haven't, and he hasn't been accurate. And it's something that he's never been a really accurate quarterback, but you'd like to see him at least start running the ball a little bit more. This guy was the ultimate weapon just a couple of seasons ago, so it's not like he got bad overnight. It just looks like the way that he's being used right now is not a way that's going to make him a good fantasy quarterback, and right now he's out of my top 12. Fantasy analysis being provided by Holden Kushner. Cincinnati's a debacle 0-3. Although they match up against Cleveland, somebody's got to win a football game. New offensive coordinator and Bill Lazor. Do you think Joe Mixon gets the kind of touches a lot of fantasy owners hoped when they drafted him in the weeks to come? Although you got Bernard and Hill in the mix too, right? Yeah, of, of course those two guys are in the mix, but this guy is starting to see the field a lot more. You know, he was on the field uh, for 36% of the snaps in week one, 25% week two, and now last week 55.7%. So Bill Lazor is obviously saying, hmm, I think we can use this guy as our lead back, and he's definitely coming on. Touched the ball 21 times last week. Still didn't get in the end zone yet, but I see that coming, and as far as uh, anybody that I want to own in that Cincinnati backfield, Mixon was the guy coming into the year, and Mixon should still be the guy, and it looks like the changing of the guard is underway. Carlos Hyde was a big part of the offense. I think he was up to like 40% in offense early on. But, of course, because of his hip injury uh, during this last game, you get kind of nervous of him. But should you start him or sit Carlos Hyde this weekend? Depends on what your options are. But let's just look at it again. Now it's a hip injury we're talking about. And when you look back at the questionable tags or the doubtful tags, hip injuries really have not affected a running back's production that much. It's a hit of about 6%. Uh, when you show up on the injury report with a hip issue. He did return to the game last week. Um, as long as he's practicing on Friday in full, I'm fine with it. He has just uh, he hadn't been the most efficient guy uh, last week against the Rams, but he touched the ball almost 30 times. He is big time in a passing game, and we've seen what Kyle Shanahan, I saw it up close here in Washington, D.C., what he could do with running backs. He makes mediocre guys into good backs. He makes good backs into great backs, and I think with Carlos Hyde, you got a very good back, and now he's getting opportunity. He knows how to open up lanes. He uses them in a passing game. I like Carlos Hyde this week. I'm okay with him. Holden, let me give you the obligatory Andrew Luck question because Cordell loves it. When I bring up anything connected to Stanford University, let's say somebody thought that Luck would be ready to go week one, and now they're just holding on to him with an optimistic feeling that at some point Luck's going to play. Would you ride with them, or is it time just to say goodbye on the waiver wire? What a waste of a roster spot. Why are you wasting a roster spot on a guy you don't even know if he's going to be back? You shouldn't have had him at the beginning of the year. You don't know when he's going to be back, or they shouldn't for week six. The Colts haven't said one thing that's truthful to this point. You have no idea when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back healthy, and if he's going to be the same player that he was before, which, by the way, he was never the elite fantasy football quarterback. He was a good fantasy football quarterback. He should not be on your roster right now, unless you're in a keeper league and you're huge Colts fan. So, no, I do not understand this infatuation with Andrew Luck in fantasy football this year. Way too many questions, way too many better options. (laughs) I tell you what, the New England Patriots um, when losing Hold on, Julian... hold on, hold on, Curtis. You're laughing a little bit. What is well, that? I, I chuckled. I was breathing heavy. I'm sorry, Holden. I, no, I'm but what was it? I want to know. Are you, you having heart palpitations, Cordell? Are you okay? <laughs> I am okay. I know you get excited end. when we talk fantasy football. I mean, is Andrew Luck going to go off? Is he Is he going to come back next week miraculously and pull a Joe Namath? You know what? Like... You know what? This is the funny thing. I, I'm, I'm all in when it comes down to speaking about Andrew Luck because as Brian mentioned, Yes, he is a Stanford guy, and he can't do anything wrong. So, of course, I am chuckling because he did ask that question about Andrew Luck, and he knows how I feel about Andrew Luck. I'm saying basically, hey, I know we talked about the AFC Championship a few years ago, but what has he done for me lately? 
I'm all about Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? Why is he on your roster it? right now? He does not even playing. We do not even know when he's coming back. There it is. Well I'm said. with you. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. But with Julian Edelman not being in the mix, it seemed like Tom Brady has found him a new toy. Let's just say that in Brandon Cooks. When it comes to their connection, have they finally got it figured out or or how can how good can they be in this offense? Now, there's just too many spikes right now. I mean, this listen, it's all about efficiency with Tom Brady and his receivers, and this schedule's juicy. I mean, he's got Tampa Bay next week, and then the Jets after that, and it doesn't really matter. He's matchup proof, but how many times is he being targeted in a game? Week one, seven. Week two, he got four targets against New Orleans. Last week, he got seven, and he scored twice. Then Hogan. Hogan's going to get his looks. Yeah, I just think it's it's up and down and up and down. In a yearly league, you're obviously playing Brandon Cooks on a weekly basis because he has a chance to just blow up and score you 30 points. He also has a chance to score you five or six points. There's no in-between with this guy. There's not steady volume, just like there isn't with Hogan at this point. The only guy that's getting steady looks would be Rob Gronkowski, who is getting monster volume as long as he's healthy. I think Cooks is going to have some really big weeks. I look forward to this relationship getting closer and getting better as the season goes on because, and and you can correct me if you're wrong, I kind of look at him like Antonio Brown light. He's not Antonio Brown, but he has the same skill set, and this guy is going to be a monster for a long time with Tom Brady. It's just not there yet. As Francis Albert said, Holden, all or nothing at all. It's true. Ponder that. Half a love never appealed to me. (laughs) Have a great show, and we'll chat with you next Thursday. Uh, Bye-bye. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste and only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer, to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you grab for a light beer this game day, Grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record and let you know what we are more than sure is going to happen on Thursday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. A couple nuggets stand out. And Cordell, this is not an excuse for Aaron Rodgers. This is part of the explanation, real-time analysis. He's been missing both starting offensive tackles. Were you aware that Aaron Rodgers, who got pummeled by Cincinnati, has been sacked 13 times? That's the most in all of football. Chicago's defense is not terrible. Chicago's D looked good against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. If we're talking about coulda, woulda, shoulda, Chicago had two chances to beat Atlanta week one. A couple of dropped touchdown receptions. So I'll let you go first before you pick the game. What does Chicago need to do to make this a competitive matchup tonight in Green Bay? I just think they need to bring the physicality to the game, similar to what they did, uh, I would say, honestly, in this last game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And and when you watch how they actually played the game, uh, I thought it was about as, as good as it actually can get when it comes down to being aggressive. I mean, Jordan Howard, I think he was pretty darn strong. Uh, in that game, um, leading the helm at 140 yards rushing against that defense. Uh, I think by committee, they're also playing good um, when it comes down to their overall play. And defensively, I mean, that defense was playing similar to how we always seen the Pittsburgh Steelers team play, whether it's the beginning part of the year or even the latter part of the season. Um, right now, if I could have, would have, should have, this is one of those teams that's easily to be 2-1 and one right now. I mean, the same conversations about 3-0 and oh for the Detroit Lions. We could talk about 2-1 and one for this team. Two times in the end zone, they had an opportunity to score touchdowns in the latter part of that game against the Atlanta Falcons. And then they beat a good Pittsburgh Steelers team. And, of course, Tampa Bay, I think they had Mike Glennon's number because that's where he started. Uh, so they knew his, his weaknesses. They played to it. I thought that's how that game should have uh, ended in a sense of from the win and loss category. So I, I figured that probably was going to be the case. But this team is playing really good. So I, 
while you're talking about the offensive line of of, of, of Aaron Rodgers being depleted to an extent because of the tackles being injured and a few other players on this offense that are injured, it's going to be pretty good. I tell you what. And where are they playing? In Green Bay? Yes, sir. And we have to pick this game. Right now. In right less now. Than a minute. I'll go Green Bay. I'll go Green Bay. The only, reason I, the only reason I go Green Bay because I don't know if Mike Glennon is ready for that rivalry in a sense of the energy that, that's brought to the table, especially going to Lambeau Field. That, that's not an easy place to play, and that is one of those rivalries that you have to be prepared for. So um, I'd rather go for Green Bay and see Chicago win than go for Chicago and end up seeing Green Bay getting the win. So I'll go with Green Bay. I'll What's the final score tonight? Ooh, 24-17. Interesting. All right. Green Bay. I'll raise the stakes. Packers 28, Green Bay 14. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.